just my voice went yeah yeah. That was it. Like I felt legitimately fine. Like I could, I was still working. I had to be like to people like I can't join a call. Like I can type to you on Teams, but I cannot. There's no point in me joining a call. But yeah, it was yeah. weird. Really weird. Anyway, but yeah, all good, all good. Living the dream. Good. Glad to hear it. Uh, we are here for episode. Uh, well, it says 232 on the on the ticker. Um, it could be episode 183. 196, 100, 202, uh, 212, uh, you know, basically copy and paste uh, every other episode that has been dominated by a weekend of VAR disgrace, really. Um, and we're going to probably look similar to that one. Um, and I posted somewhere else that after watching the game yesterday, I felt aggrieved. Uh, and by the end of the day, after seeing some of the highlights from Wolves, Sheffield United, and then watching the full 90 minutes of Newcastle Arsenal, I just felt just not even mad, just disappointed. Um, but yeah, we've had a we've had a day, we've had a day, because uh, otherwise I would just be even more annoyed. Um, but here we are. Uh, Craig, Robin, how are you both doing? Obviously, welcome back, Craig. And obviously, for the listeners, we are missing Adam today. Uh, he's now decided to come down with something sickness-wise when Craig has finally got better. Um, we are fully into the winter months, fellas. Everyone's sick all the time. <laughs> it really is, yeah. I think, especially over here, I think it it dropped from like 25 to zero, like within a couple of days. And it's a bit of a shock to the system, a bit of an ice bath. So, uh, yeah, but... Feel it better, thank you. How are you, Robin? Good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm yeah. I'm still slightly. I'm not with. I'm not yet at Josh's. Not angry, disappointed. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm still full on angry, to be honest. I, I said in our chat yesterday, like it, this is going to sound 100 like me throwing my toys out of the pram. But I genuinely stopped watching the game yesterday when Dunk's goal was disallowed. I was just fully. I was just fully done with the afternoon. No reflection on anything other than just thought I can't be bothered with this. There's no point. The sad thing is, is like I don't think you're the only one that's getting that way. Um, not not often, right? But like I feel like everyone has like a breaking point where they just think like I'm not doing this today. I can do it next week, and I'll do it last week. But there are certain days where I'm not in the mental frame of mind to have to watch something. No, hundred percent. It was such a good goal going. for one. Like it's a ridiculous finish for one, right? And it's one of those ones we go, it's not even, like, it's onside with a naked eye. Like, it's not even one we need to draw lines, even if you're drawing lines in the wrong place. You know, it's it's just onside. It, I just thought, there's no doubt. I mean, I was fooled into thinking, you know, it's one of those ones in the old days <laughs> where you were just like, you'd go, well, this is just not, you know, this is just totally uncontentious. No one's bought, you know, none of the Everton players have really appealed, as far as I could see, for offside. It's just one of those ones we've gone, that's a good goal, right? And then it's almost like we're back to that position where they go, it's not trying to correct a clear and obvious error. It's almost like we're tr- every decision is almost, can we find a reason to rule this goal out? That's what it feels like. Yeah, it, it felt that way today. Just what I just watched the Forest game uh, against Villa and with about 10 minutes to go, the Forest keeper got hurt from a challenge in the box where they he went up high and came down on a couple of people and you know how they land. It looks brutal. Um, and he was hurt for a little bit. And VAR decided to make the most of that time to literally scour that entire phase of play to see if they could give a penalty to Villa. Um, there was no contentious fouls, no nothing. But commentary noted that they were taking a very long look due to the time allowed as to anything that may have cropped up in that penalty box. And, and this, to me, this is my big na- it nails what you just said, right? Like they're, they're looking for reasons to dictate yeah. a game. Like... I know we've talked about this to death from all sorts of angles, but the thing that I can't keep, I keep coming back to is people talk about like, there should be a time limit, right? If you're trying to look for a clear and obvious error, like we can argue over what the time limit is, whether it's a minute, two minutes, 30 seconds, whatever it is. But realistically, by definition, a clear and obvious error shouldn't be something that takes you several minutes to spot. Because if it is, it's not a clear and obvious error. Right? By definition, it can't be a clear and obvious error if it's taking you a long time to spot it. So yeah. there should be some kind of time limit in there, for one. There should be. Sorry, my son's but... coming to offer me some Halloween sweets. 
I will take one. Thank you very much. Yeah, lucky you. I'm going to take some little party rings. Yeah. All, all I need party rings. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> want me to have them now. Have them all I get is my dog pooping on the carpet. You get party rings. Have a look at that. I know. Yeah, just just while whilst Robin's indulging himself, um, I, I just I think, yeah. But if you add time limits, it removes the ability to dictate a game from a referee's perspective. So it's a catch twenty two for them as well. So, yeah. so like, you know, they, it's a there's, mess. There's a, it is a mess, right? And, and the I problem think, is because you think I always thought the argument you always get against time limit is you say almost it. If you if you impose a time limit, you're kind of forcing them to make a decision within that time period. But at the same time, as we've seen, not, where you get with the right training, but yeah, with, with an open end, with no time limit, they're still not getting the decision right. So, but the, the time limit in, initiates a default, right? So you you say right, you, this is this is the decision. If you don't have enough evidence to do it in the next 30, 45 seconds, it's clear and obvious. And there's the subjectivity. There will always be subjectivity. But like, there's always that default decision. The on-field decision has been it's a goal. It would take Dunk's example. You have 30 seconds to realize if there's a clear and obvious effort error. If it's not in that 30 seconds, like you said, it's not clear, right? It, it's, it's then a contentious or ambiguous decision. And then you can't do anything about it. You then take that ability to dictate a game away from the referees there. But And almost empower the person on the pitch in the first place yeah. right so so you know that referee there has made that decision you've got four people on the pitch there by the way right and you've got another three sitting in a caravan somewhere and they're trying to change the decision so like just give them give their restriction there rather than giving them free reign to go and change all these decisions or like you said scour a passage of play for like minutes on end to try and find something to try and get something out of whatever they want to achieve so a time limit is right with the right training, right? The default will always be the on-field decision. And then in that 30 seconds, if you don't or find something, then great. You know, send him to the monitor, do whatever you want. Yeah. But at the moment, they're taking far too much time and then it puts pressure on them as a human to f then find something, to get fruits of their labor because they've spent two minutes on it. There's a yeah. natural, natural human reaction to try and find something because you've spent so long on it. You're it exactly right. That's exactly it. And I think I always come back to the rugby example, and I bang on about it a lot, but with that, it, it all, and you're right, it hinges on basically what the referee says when they ask for assistance, right? Like they say, my, my on-field decision is blah, or I genuinely couldn't see, I need some help. And how they phrase it, obviously sometimes, you know, the, the television official gets involved without the referee saying anything because they've spotted something, but... If the referee is asking for help, it very much hinges on how the referee phrases it. So my decision is, I think it's basically they'll say, my on-field decision is a try, or can you tell me any reason why I can't award it? You know, like, it, it floats you exactly right. So the referee is empowered, basically, to say, based on everything that I've seen, I think the decision is X. You need to basically tell me if there's anything I've missed that means I should overturn that decision. As, as, a, as opposed to saying, please make the decision for me. Basically, that's it. Because yeah. you're, the referee has effectively made the decision on the field. And then what's happening again is they're going, they're almost kicking that out the window. It doesn't matter what the referee said on the field. They're then going to go and look at the whole thing to try and unpick it. And you go, that's not really what it's for. It should be, as we keep saying, and they don't seem to follow it, clear and obvious er errors that the referee's made. So it should be, the referee goes, right, I think that's a goal. I couldn't see any reason why the linesmen have, you know, have not said anything to think it's offside. Basically, have a quick look and see if there's anything obvious I've missed. That is not drawing lines on a screen to work out if someone is, you know, an armpit hair offside. I mean, that's by very definition of the term VAR, right? Video assistant, not video. Yeah, it's not video ref. All being, all being, all knowing referee. Um, feel like I'm one of those like in those like '90s high school movies where I have to freeze frame and be like, "Yep, that's me. This is how we got into this situation." <laughs> so let's rewind uh, to the start of this week because we actually have some fun stuff to talk about before we get back to the Everton game. Uh, yeah. I expected it to start this way, by the way, but I did want to go back to the actual good stuff. Um, so. There's actually a lot of talking points this week for a week that's not a transfer window week, which is a bit weird. Um, Evan Ferguson last week equaled Rooney's record at 10 Premier League goals for 2023 with the goal against Fulham last weekend. Um, I think you'll probably agree with me that he's been a bit quiet this year. Uh, 
very quiet, really, in and out with injuries. Um, but when you then look at that, it kind of makes you think, like, well, how good is he when he's off it and is still equal in Wayne Rooney's record? Um, regardless of that, it's, I mean, it's an exciting time, right, to, to have a player like Evan Ferguson in your squad. And it's not one of those ones where you've plucked him away from you know, Barcelona B or someone like that, where like you're thinking, oh, okay, like we've signed someone who was already good. Like we literally plucked him from like the random area in Ireland, didn't we? And I know he was already pretty good there, but like there are a lot of people who are pretty good yeah, in the League I think of Ireland. He made teams. his didn't he, he made his first team debut age like fourteen or something. He played against yeah. Chelsea as like a fourteen year old in like a preseason friendly, I think. Something like that. But you're right, is this is a genuine striking talent I mean we've had the false dawns of Aaron Connolly haven't we because traditionally before Aaron Connolly it was like the Albion can basically produce centre halves you know we can churn out pretty good centre backs like they're going like they're going out of fashion but it was always the thing is okay we need to produce a forward and Aaron Connolly was kind of right okay we've produced a forward who can arguably do a job in the Premier League or can score goals in the Premier League but now we've produced a legitimate, you know, out-and-out world-class talent. I mean, I was looking today, you know, he's on the shortlist. He's going to be there and he's going to be on the shortlist for next year's effectively, you know, the Ballon d'Or equivalent for under-21s, whatever they call it these days. Keeps changing its name for sponsorship, I think, but whatever they call it these days, effectively that. So they were like, he's going to be in the top 10 for that. He won't win it. Like, I think, like, Gavi's going to win it pretty Com- comfortably, but he's going to be in the top 10 for that, which is wild. I mean, yeah, you just look at the people you're comparing him to, right? And you're going, oh, this is weird, first and foremost, and a bit surreal. Um, yeah, and it feels very football manager-esque for, for those that are indulging in that at the moment. Um, but yeah, it, 10 goals in a, in a season, what is he, 19 years old, right? Not and even. I think, like, like you said, just if this is him off then, you know, when he does hit a purple patch or when he does hit a consistent run of games where he is firing on all cylinders, then, you know, the sky's the limit for him. So it, it's more of a case of when that happens, how do we detract any interest from him whatsoever? Because, um, yeah, everyone's already looking. So it, it's more of a case of, okay, um, we'll see. Uh, I think there's there's obviously been some illness or something wrong with him sort of this season already so like let's just get over that and give him some time um kind of happy no one's jumping on him just yet like i i know that would be hard with like four goals or whatever but he was so good towards the end of last season and gary Lineker has already hasn't. i mean well, gary yeah. Lineker in the what match of the day was it you know like two ma- oh, i think it was after the newcastle game he scored a hat trick didn't he basically just at the time that harry kane left yeah, yeah. and gary Lineker was left like yes bird should be signing this guy you're like Jesus, Gary. Like, on, give us like, give us a year. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I, I think to an extent, yeah. it, you know, he's not an unknown quantity anymore, is he? I mean, like, he came onto the scene out of, and obviously, people at the Albion were aware. You know, we've got this talent, but as far as the rest of the Premier League is concerned, you know, this guy basically comes out of a lab somewhere and starts banging goals in in the Premier League from nowhere. Um. So to an extent, I think he's probably suffering from, you know there's a higher level of expectation on him because we've seen how good he is. I mean, that's a victim of his own success because we've gone, okay, you know, when he first broke in, it's like, okay, let's give him some games. Let's see how he is. Let's kind of, you know, slowly blood him into the team. And he was like, no, I don't need that. Like I'm, I'm basically ready to dominate Premier League centre-backs and score lots of goals right now. Thanks very much. So we've gone, okay, fine. So we're probably expecting more from him than you would the average 18 year old. So I think there's probably a bit of that in there. He's obviously had a couple of injuries. He's now obviously, you know, he's not getting breaks when the international window comes up because he's now like Ireland's main, you know, he's kind of stepped into that Robbie Keane mould of basically like he needs to score all of Ireland's goals if they're going to do anything. So I think it's probably a combination of like, he's now, he's not a kind of unknown quantity. He's now, you know, a fully fledged Premier League player that we expect goals from. I think he's also suffering from the same thing Premier League teams do and other many other players, right? Like the the classic second season syndrome or for the US guys, like the sophomore slump, right? Like they're like this is not unusual territory. Uh and I think he's probably quite blessed that he's got 
Pedro and Fati to play around with him uh, where he doesn't have that pressure on his shoulders like Murray did before him, Mope did before him, uh, where it was literally like no one else is going to score. So you've got to. Um, I think that definitely helps a great deal. Um, But yeah, it's exciting. Obviously locked down to a long-term contract. Uh, They're going to have to be spending a lot. It's going to look like pocket change Moises Caicedo's deal, isn't it? If uh, he sticks around for another year or two and keeps banging them in. I think it's going to be selling him at the. It's hitting what it's hitting the same thing as Caicedo, which is working out what's the top of his value curve. Well, I mean that's the thing, right? That's the scary thing, right? You think back now and think, imagine Harry Kane was as good at twenty two as he is at twenty nine, right? Which is the trajectory Evan Ferguson is frankly on, yeah. especially in play style, right? He's so similar to Harry Kane in the way that he. Loves dropping back. He he's not super quick. He's not anything really, but like he's just good at everything. Um, how much ten years ago would a twenty-two year old Harry Kane have gone for with the talent mm. of twenty-nine year old Harry Kane? Right? It's like, I mean, he's he was unsellable, right? He just frankly was unsellable. And Lewandowski the same, right? They're they're all that similar build. The finishing ability is there, obviously. In our wildest streams, we will end up seeing him look that good by the time he's 21, 22, right? He has just turned 19 in October. So we have two more years of him under Deserby, hopefully. Like nah. he could easily get there, right? If he could do if he could make Caputo a solid striker, right? Evan Ferguson's gonna be licking his chops. Like I, I'm not sure there's a monetary sum on the planet that in two years' time matches what Evan Ferguson is worth slash what any team is willing or capable of paying outside of whoever at that point is owned by nation states. Cause I'm sure there'll be more by then. That's right. Like, I was going to say that that's was, it. I was going to flip the question around to you and go, but let's say you take Newcastle, right. As that classic example, based, you know, in theory, a bottomless pit of money. If Newcastle rock up to Tony Bloom in January, this is purely hypothetical, right? Newcastle rock up to Tony Bloom Let's not say January because everyone hates January. Next summer, right? And they basically present a blank check and go, right, Tony, you just need to fill in the numbers here on what you're happy with, what you're going to accept, right? What's that number at 19 years old? Because I'll be honest, for me, like if someone rocked, this is going to sound funny, like if someone rocked up with 200 million quid, I'm saying no. I think you'd take, I think I'd take 250 million. Like, yeah. That's nice of you. For a quarter of a billion pounds for a guy that could do his ACL the next year. Like, I mean, but, but, but in two, but in two years time, if he continues to fit his potential with the way the money is going with the amount of money spent, like 250 million pounds may sound like a pretty good deal in 2026. That's scary. And that in and of itself is a scary indictment of the world around us and the rampant late stage capitalism and all the bullshit we could go into on a very different type of podcast. Right. But like, it is true that like we could be looking at that shit in two years time, three years time where 250 million quid is just like, Oh, it's a good deal. And he's, and they signed into a 12 year contract. (laughs) (laughs) It's mad, isn't it? Uh, elsewhere, come, I mean, he'll come good. He'll come back. You know. He's <laughs> elsewhere, though, we have got some more good news for the. We've got a lot of good news for the album, really, barring VAR this weekend. Uh, Jason Steele penned a new two-year deal with the club. Um, I mean, it's whether you want Bar Ingol as your number one or whether you want Jason Ingol as your number one. I've been very clear over the last couple of episodes. I would like to see Verbruggen step in and take that role. Um, but you can't not love Jason Steele. Like what? Correct a consummate professional from start to finish. And just because I would prefer to have a Bruggen in goal, I never really worry about having stealing goal when he is there. It's just, I'm quite happy to accept the future is now with Bart because <laughs> I really yeah. rate him, but he just deserves the world. Like he's the nicest guy, like all the way. I mean, that's Sunderland till I die stuff. Like he's never watched it. And he said he probably never will. Um, and frankly, when you're in that mind space and put in front of TV cameras for however long it was, I don't. Frankly, who can blame him? Um, he doesn't. I mean, he people... didn't need to because the amount of the amount of stick he got in person up here in the northeast. Yeah. He didn't need to watch a documentary. Like he said, no, exactly. Like he couldn't take his kids to school. He didn't feel yeah. like he could take his kids to school because he was going to get that much grief. 
Um, and you know, I mean, you watched that Beckham documentary. I don't know if you have, but like that was the first time he was watching a lot of that Argentina stuff, and he'd yeah. never watched it before. I, we're going way off piece, but like wrestling wise because steven just mentioned wrestling in the chat like the miz had his biggest ever moment at wrestlemania got concussed right in the middle of that match and he's never watched it ever he main evented the biggest event like the super bowl of wrestling the fa champions league final of wrestling with john cena and the rock everyone knows those names whether you've watched wrestling or not he main evented it got concussed halfway through and it was so awful for him he doesn't remember anything of it and refuses to ever watch it because it's done him that bad so like, then imagine you can't even take your kids to school like that's it's awful and like, like on a human though you're right on a human level like no one deserves that just for turning up like let's be honest he was like it's not like he was an outlier in that Sunderland team like that team and that club at that Good point disaster like don't <laughs> at me Sunderland like that club at that point was rotten from top to bottom Right. Back to back relegations kind of bear that out pretty well. But like you had, you know, you had famously Jack Rodwell sitting there on, you know, 70, 80 grand a week in the championship and refusing to leave. Like Jason Steele became the fall guy for a club that was just on fire, basically. And that's it's even more unfair because he's a local bloke as well to the area. You know, it seems doubly unfair to pin it on someone who probably cared more than a lot of the other people there because he knew the region. Like, obviously, yeah, he played for Middlesbrough before. You know, there's a bit of that rivalry. But ultimately, he's someone who's born and bred in the northeast, knows what a big club Sunderland are, knows what their fan base is like, and knows how much football means in that city. So for him to be the guy that it was kind of pinned on just seemed doubly, doubly unfair. Um so, yeah, like you say, Josh, I mean, you just wish the bloke the best. I mean, like you said in that interview with Glenn on um, Football Focus yesterday, which I think is what you're referring to before, you know, when he got the offer to come to Brighton, it's like he, didn't, he just said yes. He didn't even find out what he was going to be paid, what the length of contract was, any of the ins and outs of it. Just said yes to travel, you know, the length of the country. But, I mean, I say I, I used to see him on the school run every day until about a year ago. He only moved down to Brighton last summer. I don't know what days he used to do, how often he used to be down there, but I used to see him quite a lot. Um, and you could tell even on the school run, like, you know, you'd have a chat with him, et cetera, but you could tell he was kind of a little bit, even then, like, you know, not necessarily wanting to kind of interact with everyone because he might get the one, you know, the one guy who brings up you know, <laughs> some irrelevant information from like five years ago. But yeah, it's great news. And he's obviously, you know, he um, he's obviously great around the club. You know, one of the senior professionals, Deserby, you know, as with lots of them, talks how great he is in the ch in the changing room. And, you know, we've talked about what a contrast to Rob Sanchez, which is, you know, Steele comes in, he's number two to Matt Ryan when he comes in, you know, goes about his business, trains, you know, trains as hard as possible, supports Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan then leaves. Sanchez then gets bumped up above Steele to be number one. Steele cracks on keeps doing what he's doing, you know, and finally gets a shot to be number one. So it's like you couldn't ask any more. Like for, from a professional point of view as a footballer, I don't think you could ask for any more in terms of attitude. Certainly from, you know, we don't see everything that goes on. But, you know, from what we can see, what we're allowed to see, I don't see what more you'd want. It's, it's the perfect backup right and, and i mean i mean that in the nicest way possible right and I, i'll preface that and say i don't care if Verbruggen or Steele is in goal i think he's a, a terrific goalkeeper but i think to josh's point over the next few years Verbruggen sort of turns into that natural number one and jason Steele is almost like that perfect foil for him in, in just pushing someone to their limits and, and being able to to move that person forward so if you're going to learn from anyone learn from someone that's been at that absolute rock bottom and work their way back up, right? There's, there's no better person. So um, I'm sure as a professional and as a person, I'm sure he's one of the nicest guys ever. So, you know, you have him in that locker room, the same that you do with those veterans and what you do with Milner, Lalana, Welbeck, those sort of guys, like it's in that fold. Um, he's a very good goalkeeper and I don't mind seeing him goal, Europe, Premier League, otherwise. But as he gets it to 32, 33 and he's signed that deal to 2026, 
he shouldn't be expecting to be the number one goalkeeper in the next few years. And, and I'm sure he's perfectly fine with that, right? So just a great guy to have in the locker room as well. And everything's dandy. So it, it's always great news. And having him around for three, four more years is, is great. It's a proper safe pair of fans, isn't it? Like you say, like you could get to the point where, you know, Bart is the kind of, you know, the designated number one. But you know that if he's struggling or he needs to be taken out of the firing line for a game here and there, you know that Jason Steele can be rolled back in for a couple of games. Yeah, no, and, no, and, no and, a, and a capable number two is yeah. more valuable than you think, for sure. And I think so. that's what the Zerbies, obviously, you know, we've had a bit of, you know, lots of people talking about this rotation and, you know, is it the right thing, is it the wrong thing, etc. But what it is building is this ability for, you know, it's not like you get a number two goalkeeper that hasn't played for a year and suddenly they have to come in in a big game. Like, you're getting to this point where, even if Deserby starts to dial down the rotation a little bit, where he goes, okay, I'm fine, you know, Bart's going to play eight games out of ten or whatever it might be. The fact that you keep Steele playing, you know, semi-regularly means you're not going to be in this game where suddenly, you know, you're in an FA Cup quarterfinal or whatever and, you know, Verbruggen gets sent off and suddenly you're like, oh, who are we going to bring on who hasn't played for ages? So I think it's very clever from that perspective that you, you know, you keep this, you keep him there. But I mean, it's weird. I mean, well, it's the last thing I'll say on this, but it was odd. It's like you take the Marseille game, right? The Marseille away game. Like that is, to this point, probably the most hostile atmosphere that the vast majority of our squad will have played in. You've got potentially Milner might have played, you know. Milner you know, and Milana, right? Like in those Champions League the, nights, I'm sure but, it have been some brutal ones. But like, other <laughs> than that, you've got like, if anyone, you know, I still get like, I still get like obviously I'm kind of WhatsApp groups with like friends up in the northeast, and they still basically Jason Steele is still for them, particularly Sunderland fans, like this kind of figure of you know derision. Like they they cannot get their head around that he they're like basically you know like how rubbish must you be that Jason Steele's in goal? You know it's the kind of thing he's like. Well, you know how many goalkeepers can go and play Marseille away? in that atmosphere, first ever European game. Obviously, yeah, considered two goals, but he wasn't particularly at fault for either of them. But he never looked overawed, particularly in an, in an atmosphere like that. So to be honest, if you can come through that looking pretty unflappable, then, you know, sh- tells you a lot about his character, I think. I mean, I suppose it's nothing, is it, when you can't even go to school without being abused to just stand in the velodrome knowing you're safe as ours is <laughs> yeah. probably a bit nicer, honestly, as small fry. Um, elsewhere, again, more good news. Uh, the return of our Polish friend, Jakub Moda, uh, to the under-21s, and not just for a quick cameo. He seems to be making genuine progress uh, to becoming a, an Albion player real again. Um, Craig, we saw a lot of really promising stuff from Jakub Moda under Graham Potter. Uh, frankly, not to slag off Potter too hard, but the majority of it for the Polish national team. Uh, he looked unbelievably exciting when played in a more free-flowing attacking offense, so to speak. Uh, what are you What are you wanting to see out of Jakub Moda? If say he gets back to best, right? Because he's only so young, and like things can repair so easily at that age compared to if he was twenty nine. Totally different story, right? I'm just looking at Sonny March, but Jakub Moda, so young, he's coming into this side that are flying high, really, uh, but are desperately in need of depth. What what are you what are you excited to see? What are you what are your thoughts on the return of Jakob Moda in general, really? Uh good. I think when he got injured, I I thought he was playing really well. And I thought it's a good like box to box midfielder or even in that sort of centre attacking mould, right? You'd say he's quite tall as well and quite quite gangly in that way. So um I don't know. I, I I don't know where he fits right now. He's been out for a long time. So like there's there's time to figure that out as to where he can probably help. You would see him in the center of the park, most probably. I can't see him anywhere else. So it's sort of how does he fit in there and what does he bring in this Deserby style? Because we haven't seen anything. So um, we know he's comfortable on the ball. We know he can finish. That's from the Polish expert, like <laughs> from the Polish side of things, because he didn't do it for us. Um but there's there's obviously potential there, and we saw it before he unfortunately got injured for a very long time. So um, we'll see that box to box. I hope, um, and being able to just push himself about a little bit and just be energetic. 
uh, him and Belaber and Dahoud and Gross, all of those guys, you know, an extra option in midfield is always going to help because we'll get on to it later. But all of these games consecutively are absolutely killing us. So so having one extra midfielder will, will definitely help us. But excited. Like you said, he's doing 30, 40 minutes for the under 21s at the moment. There's a very small rumor that he might be part of next week. But, you know, I don't expect to see him any more than sort of 15, 20 minutes at a time, maybe until the new year. I, I really don't think that's a, a suitable choice. So, um, but exciting and an additional option for us to, to use, which is great. I hope, I hope he knows the theory of the centre midfield position because Deserby says that's the hardest position to learn under Deserby. I hope he knows the theory like down to a team, right? Like he's had all this time injured. You'd assume he's probably spent time with Deserby in the midfielders, right? Like, that part of the process should be relatively small if he, he just needs to translate it onto the pitch. So I think like I think the new year would be like really reasonable to assume he'll come back like in full flow. He doesn't have three months worth of learning how to play the Zerbi system that he needs. He's done all that. It's like the theory test and the practical, right? Like yeah, he's yeah. Done the theory and like knows it like the back of his hand, you would hope. So there's probably a really solid pathway back into the team. Well, Belaver's going to be gone for the African Nations Cup, isn't he? Yes, Mitoyma so, as well for the Asian. You'd have thought that you know that's an obvious, you know that's an obvious kind of target is to have an extra body that kind of cancels out Belaver going. Um, I'd echo everything Craig says. The only other thing that you'd add is that you know from a development point of view, does this allow, does him coming back allow one of Hinchwood or Bonanotte to go out and get some loan, some loan game somewhere? Well, I mean, and Cesar's due back in the new year too, right? Yeah, so you could see Buonanotte and Hinchelwood potentially going out in January because they both need games, um, you know, which is going to help us, you know, down the line. So that's the other added benefit of it. I'm just, yeah. I'm just still very worried about easing him in for a very long time. Like we've we've seen these sort of ACL injuries before, and attempting to potentially rush someone back before they're they're ready. Um, mentally, you can be ready, and you could know everything about the system and be able to do it. Um, but there is that susceptibility of <laughs> just messing it all up again, right? Like you you get that small tweak, and all of a sudden you're doing it again. Um, you know, we've been burnt by the Izquierdo stuff before. I'm not saying it's like for like, but it's it's similar in, in the, the type of injury and maybe the timeframes in coming back. So I have no doubt that he's an incredibly smart footballer. I know he is, right? I think everyone does. But being able to do that, you know, and run 10 kilometers a game and be able to put it into practice and, and, and expect a full-flowing person by January, I, I don't know if you can probably do that. Um, I'd rather be half empty on that and maybe just plan. Uh, so... I wouldn't. I wouldn't be averse to one of those going out on loan, but I can't see Moda taking someone's place one hundred percent until sort of after January. I feel we have to be conservative in that. That's entirely fair as well. I think the meniscus for Izquierdo is always a sad one. Thinking of what he yeah. could have been. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's entirely fair. Uh, final piece of news before we get to the Everton stuff again um, is. Uh, good and bad news. Uh, Tarot Lamptey giveth, Tarot Lamptey taketh away. Uh, we're yet to hear how bad the injury was, but he came back, got in the squad, and promptly got himself hurt in the warm-ups. Um, we are the most cursed team at fullback ever, aren't we? Like, what is going on here? That's, that's a Lamptey thing, right? <laughs> like, I, 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 I love the guy to pieces. I think he's one of the most exciting players that we have, but his his injury record at the age of 22 is not ideal um and let's just hope it's not too bad i mean obviously we like to see him on the pitch we want to see him do what he's capable of doing um but if he can only do it 10 games a season you need to start reevaluating. and we've, we've talked about the fullback position half to death so i won't do it again but your backup cannot be available for 10 games a year or, or 15 or 20 games a year you need a reliable fullback option um, and as exciting as he is, you do need to take that reliability into account. Um, so let's hope it's not too bad. Let's hope it was just a tweak and let's not let's not put this um, at risk uh, and, and just say, right, okay, he'll be ready for next week. We don't know, so we're just speculating here. But um, yeah, injury record dictates that I hope he's ready soon, but my, my glass is slightly less empty. 
I think that's entirely fair. Uh, history, given the, the history of Tarek Lamptey, um, I think it's that's a, entirely it's fair. Such a, it's such a shame. Like, because, yeah, one of the most exciting players we have. Um, yeah. Just a shame that injuries is uh, halting his progress. Agreed. Um, all right. On to Everton. Uh, Edingra, Ferguson, Bitoima, Lalana, Gilmore, Milner, Veltman, Van Hecker. Dunk, Gross, and Verbruggen as your starting eleven. Igor, Fatty, Dahoud, Pedro, Bonanotte, Belaba, Webster, Steele, and Hinshelwood on the bench. Um, we all know what Sean Dyche is capable of. Uh, he committed football terrorism of the highest order yesterday. Um, a one-one draw. Both teams under one xg, 0.7 and 0.5. Uh, hardly the most endearing of statistics for a football game. Um, what were your thoughts on the eleven yesterday, uh, especially with the Ajax game coming up midweek um, and the trouble that Pedro and Fatty gave Ajax? It feels like they're intentionally rested, right, to do yeah. that all 100%. over again. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I think, like you said, having having obviously having Ferguson up there, you need a bit more physicality. I didn't see anything wrong with the team. I mean, Milner, you know, he's. He's he's played in those kind of big games before. It's a necessity because you go, who else is going to play left back? Potentially Igor. So that's the only one that we talked about potentially. But it's a good team. I mean, it's I've got no real issues with any of it. No, until I saw James Milner at left wing, then you know yeah, that, that that's, was when, that's that's when I had an like issue it. with it. But I think you you have a lot of games coming up and i think you're you're talking a thursday sunday every week at this point and and you're going right okay cool international break oh fantastic actually half of the team are out playing international football too so that's great um you have to rest people right and if we start ajax with belaba fatty pedro igor like it, it's it's all worth it right i think you know we have six games to go through the group stage of europe there's 38 games in the season you're away to everton there are you can say it quietly, but you know, terrorism aside, they're actually not doing too bad this season. Um, so you know, it's as good a team as you could possibly have. I especially like Lalana being in there as well. I think this season he's actually been good. So yeah, I I had no qualms in, until I until I saw them actually line up, uh, and I saw that yeah, there was no actual left back at all. Um, it was just Matoma and James Milner tend to swapping, um, and Gross coming in there every now and then. It seemed we have three left backs at one time. Yeah, it was a bit of a relief, wasn't it? That not only did we not have one, it was quite nice that Harrison provided absolutely zero threat uh, down that <laughs> left, down the down that right hand side. Like I think we were very lucky uh, that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that was the deserving masterclass, right? And he knew that their right hand side was an absolute joke uh, and treated it as such um, because they presented nothing all the way through that that right hand their right hand side all day. Um, all the danger whenever there were a few pieces of counter-attacking or problematic stuff. It either came from set pieces or from their left, um, which, you know, we'll talk about in a little bit as to the Veltman, McNeil, Calvert-Lewin brutal battle that went on for a little bit there. Um, but yeah, I think this is, this is a, this is one of those things, but I, I want to bring a little bit of a conversation towards the tactics that we have and something that Toby is talking about in the chat. Um, the lack of crosses going in. Uh, Toby loves a dinger, but would love to see him play the ball in more. Um, and especially when we have Ferguson in there, Ferguson feels a little bit starved at times. Um, I mean, he's not wrong, is he? Evan Ferguson played 66 minutes of football yesterday and he had 16 touches of the ball. That's yeah, pure potable striker stuff. That is. It? It's not wrong, but I mean, Everton away is probably one of the least attractive games for us in terms of putting loads of crosses in. I mean, Given, yeah, that's also true. That's, I mean, it, that comes back to, you know, it basically comes back to what West Ham used to do against us in the first Premier League season, where basically we had, you know, they basically crossed about 100 times a game and Shane Duffy would just head them away all day. So I'm, I'm, I'm in general, I'm on board with more crosses, but yesterday is probably the game where if you have basically just Ferguson up against their centre-back pair, I don't necessarily see him getting much change out of it. No, no. And <clears throat> I, it's, yeah, it's, you know what you get with Sean Dice, right? And I, I think this is 
more of a case of, okay, how are we going to break them down? Again, it's one of those low bot conversations that I'm sure people are very bored of, but it's like, how do we, how do we counteract someone that is actively wanting us to have the ball, right? So you're talking 80% possession across the 90 minutes or so, which is wild, by the way. Um, 900 touches, all of these like lovely stats that we can roll off, but but 0.5 xG. So it, it's it's that thing of we can have the ball, but we're not really doing a lot with it. But Everton are okay with that, right? And then they were perfectly fine with that. And especially after a fortuitous goal, I'm going to call it, um, for, for Everton as well, right? It just set the tone for the entire 90 minutes was, okay, you can have it because you're not going to do anything with it. And uh, we're just going to put 11 men here and, and you're not going to be able to break us down. Um, something that we've spoken about before, something that we're cautious of, something that we would like to see slightly better or changed, but it it's Everton away, right? So um, huffed and puffed, loads of touches, loads of possession, um, but no end result and I think yeah Ferguson really struggled not a lot of crosses going in because you're not going to get a lot of fruits of their labor from that so what do you do you try and go through the middle and it was just really tough uh, you're right I mean it is the only positive I take from it is we've talked so often about these teams are absolute kryptonite right West Ham this year particularly Everton last year you know basically teams that defend with a low block Athens this year the positive is we didn't lose <laughs> Like, we are making progress in terms of we did wriggle our way out of it. Obviously, it was a bit of a fortuitous own goal, but, you know, we had a perfectly good one chalked off. So when you take into account that we struggle against those kind of teams when we're at the top of our game, we particularly struggle against them, as Deserby said, where, you know, we're not in a particularly good moment for the last couple of months. So the fact that we're not top of our game, we're going away from home to... A team, you know, I think Goodison Park, we've only won twice at Goodison Park in a hundred you know, in our existence. So, you know, we don't have a great record there. And Sean Dyche is a manager who has generally had our number wherever he's been. So when you take into account all of that, I would have taken a one-one draw before the game started. That's probably where I land with this. You know, you can talk about the ins and outs of it, but I'd have taken a one-one draw. I, I was I was dead set on getting zero. I think I, I told you yeah. guys that before as well. Like there's there's no way that the this time last the, the same fixture last year is gonna happen again, right? They were no. just an utter shambles. So yeah, I think I agree. Point. I agree with it. Good, it and is. I think that what they've won, they'd won five out of the last seven home games or something like that. Beating West Ham away last week. So they're in good form. But it, so it's I, it's the it's the VAR thing that leaves a sour taste, right? It's yeah. like this could have been better for us, but it wasn't because of this <laughs> stupid thing over here that we shouldn't be talking about. Um, so yeah, that's if it's one one, you know, one one at that point after whatever it was, fifteen minutes or so, wasn't it? I think something like that, fifteen twenty mm-hmm. minutes. Like one one at that point, you know, their game plan kind of goes out the window because you say, Craig, their game plan would have been get an early goal and then basically, you know, essentially go, there you go, you can have the ball, see what we do with it. If we'd have cancelled that out within 10 minutes and you're back to square one again, it's an entirely different game. The whole and then, and then, you bring, then you bring on Pedro earlier. Then you start yeah. bringing these guys on at 60 minutes and, and implement the plan A that, that we yeah. typically see. So it's, Whilst it's not guaranteed, we're, it's not like, okay, we'd have won that game with that goal allowed. It's an entirely different game. You can say that, you know, objectively, it's an entirely different game. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Um, It changed it changes the entire reflection on things because they can get they get more they got more and more set right like they got more and more set into their low block and their anti football. Um, But I think like that's the thing too. Like I said it in the WhatsApp chat that if we get dicked five one again here, like Villa away esque and like Everton at home esque, like we need to be raising serious questions about Deserby's tactical flexibility here because like you shouldn't be allowing such simple tactics to dismantle you so often. Right. Um, And we saw growth, right? Like they are getting better slowly, but surely about these things. And it did take a fortunate deflection to even score the goal to put them one nil up. Um, Yes. We got the fortunate deflection for the own goal to go one, one, but as you say, I mean, it was a goal, right? It's like donkey should have had that one in the first place. Um, I mean, his as Toby also says in the chat, his uh, his free kick, he is getting closer and closer. I mean, how good is that? It, 
that's what we've been talking about. Like, he's gonna, at some point, one's going to end up in the top corner. We're he getting is closer. slowly getting closer and closer. Um, and after his goal yesterday, I, I said as well, I was like, he's never letting free kicks go again. Not after the way he finished that goal. Um, no. He's never letting free kicks go. It's like, never. did you see how clean that... It's, a, it's an incredible finish. Like, yeah, it really is. It really... It, that, that's the most annoying thing about it as well. It's like it deserved a goal. That's a, that's a weak foot volley from your centre-back. Yeah. You bowed it like first time. You just like, it's just so unfair. Des- yeah, deserved, deserved the goal. And yeah, the yeah. free kick was nearly, nearly there. But like it, we said before, right? We're always like, please don't take him. Please don't take him. Clearly, he's absolutely nailing them nine times out of ten in training. Because otherwise, otherwise, he absolutely would not be on them. So... Yeah, we they... talked about this last week very briefly. Um, on that, where we're just like the only two options are he's nailing them all the time in training, or he's just like, I'm the captain, I'm having it, piss off. And it's like, I don't see it as being the latter, so it's got to be the fact that he's just nailing it, you know, when no one's watching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but can I think the other point raised in the chat, which is not quite as good, was Billy Gilmore looked dreadful the best the game that i saw um just yeah he didn't look off great it. gave away possession a lot um it was not his best day at the office uh no. and i think when i'm looking at the stats here like i mean he was compared to your other your other kind of ball carriers and ball distributors lewis dunk 94 percent pass accuracy but heck 93 gilmore was down to 91.7 which is really not bad at all um but you come to expect a little bit more from him um and when pascal gross uh, has 0.3 percent less with almost 40 more passes in the same role as you you've yeah it's not a good day at the office um by Albion standards. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot, of, a lot of things that kill for a centre midfielder that could be that consistent with their distribution around the park. Um, but for us, especially against a team like that, we just demand a little bit more because a few of them were essentially triggering counter counter attacks for them, which we've we've seen time and time again is a bit of a kryptonite for us. Yeah. Um, for the rest of that first half, it was very much attack versus the defence. Um, and for the rest of the game, really, until we actually got the goal, it was very much a kind of, it sounds bad saying it because it's making us sound better than we are, but like it, it felt like watching Manchester City play these low block teams, like the level in which we dominated that ball. Um, the only difference is, of course, is Manchester City have that final ball from about four world-class players, and we simply don't, and most teams on the planet don't. So I'm not too concerned about that part. But it, it felt like watching a, a even more dominant version of Potable um, because it really did become a training session for both teams. Um, and once the goal went in, most frustratingly, all of a sudden, after all this time of wasting and just being absolute terrorists, all of a sudden, they wanted to win the game. They fully came out guns blazing for the last, last four or five minutes after the goal, once we regained possession, and then we started pushing, but they were a little bit open. But it was crazy, wasn't it? Like, what, like, what are we doing? Like, just, soon- just do that from the start. Like, it's yeah, just like, like why, why did you do yeah, that? Don't, don't just play anti-football. Like... I just cannot stand Sean Dyche and like just that level. Of, like, there's no point. Like Pascal, I think it's Pascal Gross's quote after the game is basically effectively one team here came to play football, which is very unusual for someone like Pascal Gross to say yeah, something out, like that like, too. That's how bad it must be. Like, it's it's without getting kind of you know overly kind of snobbish and patronising about it. It's just like I couldn't go if that was my team. I couldn't bear them playing like that at home every week. I mean, that's how I felt after watching the Fulham fallout last week, right? Of like how they were like treating the one-one draw like a win, and they basically majority of fans online said like that's how we play every week. It's amazing, like and like I'm sat there like I couldn't do it. Like, is it amazing? Yeah, it's the same. Funny to shit house one every now and again. Like, like don't get me wrong. 
that Mopay game against Arsenal, right? Like everyone yeah. will live, love that game. Like it lives long in the memory, like pure shithousery from start to finish. But like for the most part, like you don't, you don't want to watch that every single week. Like unless you're not, not at home as well. I mean, you're at home, you're in good form, right? You don't want to see that at home against, to be honest, a team that you beat 5-1 the last time you played them and a team that traditionally struggle. Like they didn't, if they'd have played like an attacking style with Cal, like if they'd have played a more positive game, like they know that they can do that. Like they didn't do, they didn't really shit house us in that five one. Like they were just really clinical in attack. Like they don't need to play like that. So it seems even more bizarre that that's their choice was to both like do nothing. When actually, when they, whenever they got that ball for the five one, they went for it. Like yeah, every yeah. time. <laughs> Yeah, so it's basically the same team. It's the same personnel, effectively, against the same personnel. But this time, you have the advantage of being at home as well. So it seemed like a really bizarre. Um, it seemed like a really bizarre decision because it's like you're clearly good enough to actually beat us when you play football properly. So I just, I hate, I just kick it in the bin. I hope they go down. Before. <laughs> You're disgraced, and I hope you're relegated. We're getting to into Arsenal yeah. fan TV levels. Um, before we move on to the more good performances, uh, for 2023-2024, uh, Together BHA is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Uh, Green King Sports venues are showing every televised Brighton fixture over the course of the season. Um, so instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. Uh, this season, Green King have launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, uh, which is the home for fan content there. Deals, competitions throughout the season as well. Um, they've already given away Champions League final tickets uh, and signed shirts. So you really don't want to miss out. Uh, especially given that those Ajax tickets were like gold dust. Uh, if we make past the group stage, those tickets are going to get harder to get and you can bet your bottom dollar there will be competition tickets around. Uh, so follow them, um, drop them a follow on Instagram. Uh, you won't just be the first to know all about this. You'll be helping out us as well together, BHA on Instagram as well. Uh, we are uh, hoping to grow our following over there as well, just in case, as I say every week, Elon Musk decides to turn on the off switch, turn the off switch on, off on switch off to just destroy <laughs> whatever whatever Frankenstein Twitter X is these days. Uh, if he has someone say something mean to him, so give them a follow, give us a follow, um, and let's talk about some good stuff uh, from the day. And we'll start with Kauri Mitoma um, because poor Ashley Young at what 37 years young uh has to go up at right back 38 years old has to play 89 minutes against Kaoru Matoma um and I've seen a couple of people say online they thought Ashley Young did quite well against him and I don't know what game they were watching because I've never seen a more terrorized man ever it he didn't win a single individual battle he was like the exact opposite of Wan-Bissaka uh, in that one-on-one -on -one duel. I've never seen another right back so rinsed so constantly uh, by Mitoma. It was a little bit like watching the Milner-Doku battle two weeks ago. It was that bad. Um, and of course, it's him that steps up with the moment of magic slash a little bit of luck uh, that gets us the goal. And how happy did he look when he got that uh, looping goal into the top, top corner as well? I thought he was excellent and always, as always, looks the most likely to make something happen continues to be doesn't he and, and I think this he's so important to this team and and what it does and his consistency and an element of just he's someone that doesn't get rotated right you, you have you have your players that you're seeing on a Thursday Sunday Thursday Sunday Thursday Sunday he's very rarely rotated and that shows how important he is to this team and how we play um like you said, he's the, the ability to make something happen when it's not really going your way against an Everton side that just simply doesn't fancy it or, or doesn't want to engage. Sorry, they obviously fancy it, but they didn't want to really engage with what we wanted them to do. Um, you just need something to happen out of nowhere. And and he's the most probable to make that happen. So um, I'm worried about just running this poor guy into the ground. <laughs> but but he's just he's so good that you can't drop him like who 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 do you drop him for that can do an adequate job or, or an adequate replacement job so continues to be amazing 
signs a new contract as well. He's with us for four more years. That means we're getting a, a hell of a payout if he does go. Um, but I would love to just see him continue to terrorise these poor right backs because it, it's it's so fun to watch. Yeah, it's uh, it's nasty. Um, I just, elsewhere, I, I just saw three Ashley Ash Young three tackles, three failed tackles. <laughs> so so <laughs> poor lad. Uh, he, he didn't he didn't make a successful tackle all ninety minutes. No, uh, it, I mean it looked it too. Um, <laughs> another player that that once again looks like one of our best players, uh, Jao Pedro, comes on at half time, um, and once again just adds this extra dimension to the entire final third. Um, and I thought he was excellent again yesterday. Uh, and did he create the goal or anything like that? No, but just his contribution is there. Like whenever he's on, he looks like he could make something happen compared to some of the other players. Right. Like I feel like he, like for me, I've been saying it for a while, but like it feels like he's getting closer and closer to that Mitoma and dunk level of like, we need to be playing him every game. Like he's yeah. just that good. Yeah, he does. I think his his ability to create space is probably the most important thing, right? Like if if you're playing behind Ferguson or if you're doing that sort of top role, um, he can hold it up, but he'd much prefer just to nutmeg someone and run it into space and give give people a chance to to get up to the pitch and and help him out. Um, that's valuable, right? And and again, he has this. Uh, I guess this Brazilian flair. I guess like being able to make something happen when it probably shouldn't. Um, and you know, we, we've only seen 10, 11 games of him so far, right? He's still bedding in. He's still getting used to everything. He's obviously an amazing player. Um, but once he gets to that undroppable level, like you're saying, um, and becomes part of that spine, quote unquote, um, you're going to see more of him and he's going to score more. It's, it's, uh, and to be honest, he, he absolutely needs to be starting on Thursday anyway. So, uh, we'll, we'll see him then. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, Here's another one that's a weird one to bring up, but I noticed it with Trossard a couple of years ago and I brought it up on here and it was like a weird coin at the time. I'm going to do the same thing and I actually went back and checked to make sure I'm not just making this up. Mahoud Dahoud has got in some serious shape over the last three months because if you go back and watch him in the preseason against Newcastle and Brentford, whoever it was, he, he has lost a lot of weight from then to now. I know they say centre midfield is the hardest role to learn for Deserby, and he talks about it a lot. But if you go back and watch some of those earlier games, he looks like he's wearing a baggier shirt, right? Because he's like a bit carrying a couple of pounds. He's not played football for like a long time. He still looked incredibly smooth on the ball, right? But he looks like he's got into like, it looks like he's actually finally becoming genuinely match fit for the first time. Um, and I think, if you go back and watch some of his time on the ball, he looks like he's become his reaction time has gotten much better, and just everything about him seems to be pointing towards in the towards the right direction. I just he's one to keep an eye on. I think over the next couple of months, as we rely on more and more players, and he looks when when Trossard looked like he'd put on about five to ten pounds of muscle across his torso and arms a couple of years ago. Like it looks like Dahoud has dropped a bit of it in a good way, and it's it's hopeful to see him play so smart. He's a silky player, isn't he? And I think when, when we first saw, like when he, we first realized or saw that he was signing for us, like this is a guy that's played at a very high level for a, a long period of his young career. So I, as long as he's as silky as he is and he can run a little bit more and maybe has an extra, an extra step. Um, I still think I put this out last week as well. I still think the hood and belabor in the middle is, is a pairing that, is exciting to me because you, you have that um that brick shit house in in Belaber, but then you have this this silky passing and and retention guy next to him that can get up and down the pitch and and, and maybe that's what he's been told to do so uh yeah i i do like him i like him a lot uh it's just a case of you know do we want to go with Belaber yet it seems that we're still sort of holding off on that as a as a consistent start um, but I really wouldn't mind him starting in the centre mid. Again, he's got that European experience again. I would like to see him at Ajax too. So, uh, yeah, it, we talk about all these injuries and all this depth and bits and pieces. But the good thing is, is that we actually partially had the depth to cover it, right? So you're, you're still talking about, and you look at that bench from yesterday, right? And you, you said it at the top of the pod. You've got Igor, Webster, Dahoud, Pedro, Belieber, Fatty. Like all of those are people that could start. 
realistically. Um, so whilst you're talking, you're in so's, you're in CISOs, you're Estupinians, you're Lamptees, you're March, you're Wellbecks. I know they're out, but we said across the summer that we had this level of depth now that we can potentially rotate and have the same type of quality. Unfortunately, the rotation just comes with a lack of consistency. Um, and I think that's probably what we're struggling from. We're adequate in the replacements, but I just don't think we're rotating too much, right? Um, and, and that's what I personally think the issue is. Uh, but we have the players, right? It's just when you do make five or six changes a game, you're going you're gonna to feel that. Yeah. Um, Ajax up next then. Uh, just looking at the last two results, it promises to be a slightly different game to the one at the Amex, uh, as they look like they're about to win their second game in a row. Um, 2nd of of February, uh, 2nd of November, uh, they beat Volendam 2-0, and today they're currently 2-1 up uh, against Heerenveener home. Um, They're playing a lot of games thick and fast, back-to-back here, Um, so they're not going to be as well off as us in terms of fitness-wise, which is really weird to think, given how many games we've been playing. Um, But this is going to be a little bit of a different Ajax to the one we saw on the 26th of October. Um, what are we what are we thinking here? I think Pedro and Fatty up front seems to be pretty much a given at this point. Um, I think I think there's a very good chance that Hood and Baleba might be the start that you see in that midfield. Um, obviously, we need to wait and see what comes back on Lamptey. If it was just very, very precautionary, we might see him start. Uh, or we might see the three at the back that I quite enjoyed watching against Fulham as well. Um, what, are you, what are we hoping here? I would like to see Igor as well, for sure. Um, he's impressed me every time he's played. Um, so what are your thoughts? Do you, and also, crucially, Steele or Verbruggen? What are we doing this time? Back to Steele? I think so. I think I'll go back to Steele. Um, I think you're right. I, mean, I think, yeah, it's got to be Fatty and Pedro. It's, it's difficult whether he makes so many changes again. I don't know. You'd like to think that potentially it will be Veltman again, Dunk, Van Hecker. I'd be tempted to put Igor left back if Lamptey's not available. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it's a very, again, it, it, we, we cut, it's another sort of slightly unknown quantity because it's not going to be you'd have thought the same level of hostility that Marseille was at because that's just a bit of a a bit of a kind of a one-off particularly in terms of Ajax recent you know performance I don't know don't know be interesting these second level games are going to be a lot I think they'll be better for us because we know what we're getting into now. Yeah. Right? You, you've played each of these games once or each of these teams once, sorry. So you know what you're getting with Marseille. You know what you're getting with Ajax. You know what you're getting with Athens. So for us, I think we've already beat them. We beat them not too long ago. Let's go over there and beat them again. Um, and, and that confidence should be flowing. I do think if... If Igor's at left back, then Gross has to play in the centre. So your Belieber De Hood just completely goes out the window. Um, so you know, you're Dunk Van Hecker, Igor left back with Veltman at right back. You're then gonna go probably Gross and De Hood in the middle. Um, yeah. we've seen that before. Matoma at Dinger is just default right now, yeah. and then Fatty and Pedro as, as yeah. the two. So if that happens, fantastic. It seems quite predictable. Um, so Deserby might change that up. The only thing I could probably see is Gross at left back instead of Igor. And then yeah. maybe Van Hecker drops for Igor in the centre back role. But there's there's again there's tweaks there to be had. But we should be going there and looking to get three points. I we've 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 got we've we've got three out of them. Let's get another three. Then you're in very good contention for at least you know second or or even first in that group. So um optimistic, sure. Um but you know, like Josh said, this is a this is an IX team that's kind of turning it around now against this. Well, after this caretaker manager, so um, two games the, in a row isn't to be sniffed at. The good thing for us is that unusually we're not in the direct firing line of the new manager bounce. Like they've had a mm. couple of games, so it's not like when we're normally you know they roll out. Normally it's a new manager. Literally we're on the far, we're on the end of the new manager bounce. So that's one positive. Logistically. Going there, the good news is we don't have to get buses like we did in Marseille. We're free like human beings to get the metro to the ground, which is quite civilised. So that's another, that's a bit of a plus, that's a bit of a plus point. Um, but it should be good, like big, big following going over, lots of people going over without tickets. So it should be good. 
I'm one. sure Barber absolutely isn't pulling what's left of his hair out at the idea of lots of Albion fans without tickets in Amsterdam. No, no, I know. And I haven't seen anything about a kind of publicised kind of fan zone or anything, so it's going to be a, a bit of a free-for-all, I think. Seems like there's a lot going on in the city, so anyone going over there uh, worried about or wanting to find any kind of officially backed thing, it doesn't look like there is anything yet. So just enjoy no. the city, guys. Like, Amsterdam is a special place. Just it's go and have fun. a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. yeah lovely place. Um, but yeah, it looks like kind of most ticket collection and all of that kind of stuff, everything's fairly central, so yeah. Shouldn't be too far away from anything. I nearly publicised the location there, which is what the email told you not to do. Um, but I managed to, managed to catch myself. So, All right. Well, before Robin gives away like MI5 level information, we're going to wrap here. So we will be back next week. Uh, obviously, Ajax uh, away on Thursday, uh, followed by Sheffield United at home on Sunday. Um, so two games we should be absolutely expecting to win, uh, despite the absolute scam win that Sheffield United got this weekend. Um, we will be, we'll be back to cover them both. Uh, and going into the international break with two wins and on the bounce would be uh, pretty nice. Absolutely. Yeah, it All right, fellas, have a, enjoy your week uh, and we'll see you guys Thursday. Cheers, Cheers guys. Bye-bye. Bye.